This is episode 45 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me on the show tonight to preview the Edmonton Oilers' first-round playoff series against the Los Angeles Kings are two contributors for HeavyHockey.com, Spencer Pomodi and Ryan Lotzberg. How's it going tonight, guys? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, you're welcome. It's great to talk to you guys again. And uh, the Oilers just wrapped up the regular season with a 3-2 shootout win over the Vancouver Canucks on Friday. And now we're less than 48 hours away from puck drop on Game 1 between the Oilers and Kings. I will be at Rogers Place on Monday night for that game. And guys, before we start analyzing this matchup, I just want to ask you how exciting you think it will be for not just the fans, but also the players to have a full building in the playoffs for the first time in five years. Uh, Spencer, I'll go to you first. Oh, it's going to be awesome. You see them all talking about it, too, as well. Like Yamamoto's interview was great because he hasn't had the experience of fans in with his playoffs. And I think it'll just be oh, riveting for them. It'll be perfect. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say anything other than the boys will be jacked up, ready to go. Like Regular season games down the stretch have been exciting and fun to be at. The atmosphere has been a lot more lively, but the playoffs are just a different animal once you get the people in there. So, yeah, I think they'll be jacked up, ready to go, and it's going to be a good series. Now that the regular season is over, though, do you think that we we really missed something last season not having the fans there like was it that much more noticeable to have the fans back in the building at Rogers Place all season uh, Ryan just again what do you think I I definitely think it makes a difference for the guys like everyone talks about Zach Cassian as the example of this but like you just get a little bit more adrenaline you get a little bit more energy in your step you just move that little bit faster when you get that extra surge from the crowd so, yeah, I think it definitely makes a difference. Would it have made a difference last year? I mean, it could have. We lost three games in overtime last year. <laughs> we win one of those games. It's a different series. Where they outplayed the Jets in basically every game, too. And I think they outshot them in at least three of the four games. Uh, Spencer, yeah, just from a viewing perspective, Spencer, do you think it, it was that big of a difference this year for you watching even on TV that it, uh, it was more exciting having a building full of fans again? Oh, way better from a even a viewer's standpoint. Just they even like they just play better. Players play better in front of fans, so it's a better product on ice. But even the atmosphere that's gained, there's no fake noise being pumped in. There's no just blaring music. The camera angle is also better because they don't show <laughs> the emptiness. And I, it's just like I said, better product on ice from the players because of the fans. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and there were so many great moments last season. I mean, I think the one that stands out the most is Connor getting 100 points in 53 games. Can you imagine how the building would have exploded if they would have been there when he had four points against the Canucks to reach that milestone? Oh, it would have been <laughs> incredible. Just, oh, it's like fans, there is no replacement. You start to notice after like the first little bit, you're just happy like there's anything to watch at all. But then once you, you it starts to get a little old almost. And then once you fans are back in, like, I feel like there's more comebacks now because there's some more extra momentum going around the building, extra yeah. buzz for the players. And it's just it's better product overall. 
and you know, we have one of the best fan bases in the NHL, if not the best fan base. I remember after the Oilers started 3-0 and this season, there were fans on 104th Avenue outside of the Hall of Fame room chanting, we want the cup. I mean, how many cities around the NHL are going to be doing that that early in the season? It shows how invested that uh, the people of Edmonton are in this team, and I think it's just going to even take it up a few more notches once we get to the playoffs next week. Yeah, it's going to be just excellent. Oh, like playoffs is I've I'm going Monday as well. I have not seen a oh, nice. playoff game live. Neither have so I. That is <laughs> something I'm, like, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be something to experience. Like I've seen it like 2017 is the most recent memory of just the absolute chaos of yeah the fans and just the support everyone's going nuts there's it's like everyone loves everyone at that time and it's the best <laughs> well ryan yeah. i know that you've been to a playoff game we actually talked about that the last time i had you on my podcast oh. um now was that game in i think you said 98 that you went to was that the the only playoff game you've ever been uh to in edmonton no, that's not the only one I've been to. I was actually at game one in the Sharks series at Rogers Place. So the first playoff game at Rogers Place. So like, oh, in 2017, oh, okay. 2017, it's like nobody in Edmonton had seen live playoff hockey in over a decade. Oh. And it was it was crazy. Like fans are just chanting from the moment warm up started. All yeah. the way through, like my my throat was raw by the time the <laughs> started. Well, it, it was a ton of fun. You know, I went to my first Oilers game in 2006, uh, about a month before, or not even a month, maybe a couple of weeks before the playoffs started. And, you know, at that time, I, I hoped that they were going to be a perennial playoff team with, with Chris Pronger joining the fold and that I would have a chance to go see a playoff game. And then, of course, they didn't make it back uh, for 11 years. <laughs> so, uh, and then in 2017, I wasn't... Uh, uh, living in Saskatchewan, so I was a little further away from Alberta. Trying to get to a game that year would have been basically impossible. So I've I've had to wait another five years, and it's uh, it's been a long time coming. So I'll be at my first playoff game, and uh, hopefully they'll have a uh, a little better result in that first game against the Sharks because it looked like they were in a good spot, scoring a, an early goal, and then ended up uh, I think dropping it in overtime, like forty seven seconds in, if I remember. Yeah, I don't remember the exact amount of time, but it didn't last long. Like, it, you get so amped up and you're just, <laughs> just going crazy during the game, and then it ends oh. in an instant, and you're just like, oh. <laughs> I remember when Clefbaum scored that first goal, the building just exploded. It was like, the here's the first playoff goal the Oilers have scored in 11 years, and uh, I expect it'll be no different on Monday night. Oh, Absolutely. All right, so this will be the eighth time the Oilers and Kings have faced each other in the playoffs, and the first since 1992. The Oilers also won the season series this year 3-1. to one. And when you look at these two rosters on paper, where do you give the Oilers the advantage in the series? Uh, Ryan, I'll start with you. I think the obvious one is just goal scoring, but I'm going to be a little more specific than that and say offense from the blue line. So. If you add up all the points from the Oilers' blue liners over the course of the season, they had 195 points, whereas the Kings had 144. So, I mean, I, 
you look at the amount of goals that they scored, the Oilers, where are they? 287 goals, seventh in the league. Kings are 239 goals, 20th in the league. So, I mean, part of it is the styles they employ, how the teams play offense, but... This is so like the Kings are or sorry the Oilers are using their blue liners a lot more and I think we saw that more with Tippett than with Woodcroft just because of the way they fed the points and expected high volumes of shots from the points. But uh, offense from the blue line I think is a big advantage for the Oilers. And Spencer, how about you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's easy. It's the offense. Like we just have so much offense compared to just like Ryan said overall. Like everywhere we stack up is just a little bit better offensively. They, the I even think defensively without Dowdy, we still we have a little bit, and especially if Nurse is back in for game one, that we have a better decor overall, deeper mm-hmm. for sure. Especially with Kulak getting in the mix and playing well, and with. Even goaltending right now, Smith is hot. I just, in every area, we have like a little bit of an edge, I think, other than goal scoring is the one big thing where it's like, yeah, Oilers can outscore them easily. Yeah, I mean, the game breakers that the Oilers have, the Kings just can't match. Um, mm-hmm. I think that if Doughty was playing a guy who is still, you know, towards the end of his prime, but you can see earlier in the season, he looked like he was having a resurgence. I think that if he was at 100% health, that could tilt the series slightly. But without him, it's a huge advantage for the Oilers. Darnell Nurse playing is another big factor. Like If if he's at full health, then I think the Oilers are in really good shape. But as as of right now, the forward group, I think, is better. The defense is better. Mike Smith is playing some of the best hockey of his entire career, 9-0 in the month of April. I mean, you can't ask for much more. He was just named second star of the month uh, today. So really they should be the, the stronger team in this series. And uh, I, I can't see too many disadvantages for the Oilers going in, especially when you look at how much they've improved their five on five play. And uh, I mean, if the power play gets any opportunities this year, we saw how last year the Oilers couldn't buy a penalty against the jets. So, and I expect much of the same. Like it's it's it gets tighter at this time of year. The refs do put their whistles away in the playoffs, unfortunately. So uh, I, I think that even despite these factors, the Oilers should still be able to come away with uh, the series win. Uh, let's just look at the opposition, though. Is are there any areas that you think the Kings might have the edge in the series, Spencer? I'll go right back to you. Uh, they got. Like uh, they're just so pesty on the forecheck. I think there's mm-hmm. a, a world where they can overwhelm our defense and cause a lot of turnovers, and that can result in like last year we outplayed and then turnover goal. It felt like, yeah. and I feel like they got a good forecheck. They got like that. Dano, Trevor Moore, and Arvidsson line is just they'll probably go up against the '97 line, and that'll be if they just. It's going to be them just hard work. I can see them just forechecking our D and just overpressuring them. Yeah, that's pretty much what we saw in the four games this year. Uh, Ryan, what, what about you? Do you, do you see any uh, obvious things where the Kings might have uh, the edge over the Oilers? 
Well, the short answer is no, but I'll give you a bit of a longer <laughs> answer. Um, I, I agree with what Spencer is saying. I think the consistency of the work rate of the Kings is a little higher than it is in the Oilers. Like the Oilers do a lot of things well, but they go through lulls every once in a while where they just go to sleep and they quit doing the things that they need to do to be a pretty successful team. The Kings don't have those lulls. Look at, they know they don't have the top end skill that we do, so they have to work all the time. We have to work all the time too, but we don't. <laughs> That's the big thing. And like the other thing is, that they have that we really don't have is a Philip Deneau. Like, mm-hmm. he, he did great work against Austin Matthews in the playoffs last year, and it ended up in a big upset Montreal over Toronto. And he was a big part of that Montreal team going to the Stanley Cup Finals last year. So like he. He's a really good matchup piece for teams that have elite centers, and the Oilers have two of them. And Kopitar is no slouch on the defensive end himself. But uh, so that, that that's going to pose a challenge for Woodcroft and the Oilers. But I think there's a couple factors that will help the Oilers overcome that. One is just straight up time on ice. Neither Kopitar or Deneau has plays as much minute as many minutes at even strength as Connor or Leon do. So there'll be enough times where they'll be able to avoid the matchup. And especially if Woodcroft goes 11-7, that'll give them more opportunities to play McDavid on a line with like Cassian and whoever else the extra forward is going to be to get him away from the matchup. Same with Leon. So I think yeah. the, they have the Kings have a couple of ways they can win, but I think the Oilers can easily think their way around that. I'm hoping we're going to see a little more of a killer instinct in this series. And I think one of the factors is that earlier in the season, when they were still under Dave Tippett, they were routinely behind every game. And when you're always trailing one nothing, you're always playing catch up. And as the season started to turn in the second half, and they were getting these one nothing, 2 nothing leads, they had a, a tendency, it seemed, to sit on a lead and not continue to push to to extend it. They were almost like just content to sit on the lead, and you'd see teams fight back in the games. So I'd like to see that change a little bit. You know, have have a little more of that killer instinct, like I said. Try to grow the lead as much as you can and, and put the game away. It's just uh, it, it's something that this team is still learning, and we're seeing it a little more down the stretch here, but... Uh, the other thing I think you mentioned also, you know, uh, having home ice, it's it's a big thing because we'll get uh, last change in four out of the three games. And you just know the games back in L.A., they're going to be line matching really hard. They're going to try and get Kopitar and Deneau out there against McDavid and Dreisaitl. Will the Oilers' two offensive centers be able to overwhelm the Kings' two defensive centers? They're going to play opposite styles in the series. But uh, overall, I, I still think that... Uh, Connor Connor McDavid, as he's shown especially, he can outwork or outmaneuver any defensive system that the other teams are going to put on him. Even if it's extremely tight, he will still find a way to get his points. So I don't think that that uh, should hamper him too much. And and like we also talked about, we know how dangerous the Oilers can be on the power play. They're not going to get as many opportunities as we would like to see. They don't get that many in the regular season anyway, let alone the playoffs. But do you think this team is better equipped? to win a playoff series five on five than they were a year ago. Spencer, how about you? What do you think? I think so. A hundred percent, especially with even the coaching change helps a ton. Just uh, like Derek Ryan's comments were intriguing the other day. I feel like 
the main thing is there's going to be prep and there's going to be adjustments happening. There's going to be more than just here's the game plan, make it work and go. Like we played pretty good last year against the Jets. It was four close games. It was basically we dominated all of them and then lost in overtime and it's hard to get better than that, but I think we're more equipped defensively to fend off the odd three-on-two that will happen or make a change when it's needed is the thing I think is going to be most equipped here in this playoff run is just adjust. Yeah, I mean, the two biggest factors in that series last year were that Connor Hellebuck was the MVP oh, of the series, and, and, and you couldn't beat him. And, and also, I know Jets fans will say it's sour grapes, but go back and watch all those games. Connor was harassed night after night and just hooked, slashed, tripped, tackled to the ice even in some cases. So as long as they even call some of that this year as opposed to letting uh, them get away, I believe it's been eight straight playoff games that McDavid hasn't drawn a penalty now, which is unthinkable for the best player in the world um if he can even get the odd call the oilers have to take advantage of those power plays because there won't be many of them uh ryan what do you think is this team more prepared to win a five-on-five series absolutely they are like nugent hopkins said this recently as well that uh this team is deeper than the 2017 team and he's absolutely right with i mean with Last year, we had two top lines, and then we had two fourth lines that were just not good enough. This year, we've got three solid lines and a fourth line that can hold its own if we're going uh, the standard 12-6. But if, even if we're going 11-7, those extra two are, are still effective NHL players. Like You go and pick up a guy like Derek Broussard at the deadline, and you're utilizing him as your fourth line left wing. Like he, He's averaging a half a point a game or, or in and around that area throughout the rest of the season, and you're burying that guy in your fourth line. Like That's depth. Yeah, and uh, the, the other thing too is like Derek Broussard, I think, only had three points in 15 games after joining the Oilers, but it, it sort of reminds me of in 2017 when they picked up uh, Dayarnays at the deadline. And he wasn't overly impressive down the stretch, but he scored one huge goal in the playoffs. And I think that's all that Broussard has to do. If he has one big moment of against the Kings, that trade will be all worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan of the way he's being utilized. Like, I, I think he and Nuge need to be side by side because I think Broussard's too creative an offensive player to be stuck with the guys that he's playing with. But you're right. He, he just needs one or two big moments and to just have a clean game. Most of the series just don't don't allow anything. He'll be fine. And let's hope that some of that playoff experience that guys like Duncan Keith have and that Broussard have will shine through because most of this Oilers team hasn't been that far in the playoffs. I mean, I know Josh Archibald technically has a Stanley Cup. I, I think he only played a couple games in the 2016 playoffs with the Penguins. But uh, to have some some players who've been on a deep run, you know, that that's the kind of mentorship, leadership, whatever you want to call it, that they're going to need in the dressing room. And I, I, I know you just touched on it a, a few uh, minutes ago there, Ryan, but 
since Jay Woodcroft took over behind the bench in February, we have seen him run with 11 forwards and seven defensemen multiple times. Do you expect to see this continue against the Kings? And do you think it's a good idea? I, I think he'll continue to do it. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the options to fill out that extra roster spot, whether it's a Chris Russell playing a very effective role as a seventh D-man, he can play either side. He can keep the other team guessing. Kulak can play either side, too. So like, the other team doesn't know what they're going against for a third pairing there. You throw Barry in there, too. Like You just don't know what's going to be on the ice. Or you have a guy like a Devin Shore playing fourth line minutes for you. What would you rather have? And I'd, I'd rather have Chris Russell in there, right? I yeah. think that having 7D allow it gives the Oilers the option to balance out the minutes among the D a little bit more, which I think is a good thing. And it also gives them more of an opportunity to uh, avoid the line matching with Kopitar and Deno because right. it allows them to double shift McDavid and Dreisaitl at times with whoever the extra two forwards are. For sure. And Spencer, how about you? Would you go with uh, 12 and 6 or 11 and 7? Uh, I think with this team, like Ryan, like Ryan said it perfectly, I think 11 and 7 is definitely the right move, especially in playoffs. You just... Well, you throw different looks like Chris Russell playing limited minutes, like Ryan said, it, he's been fine. Like he's been good in those minutes. Uh, and again, like you just can put out, it'll be McLeod and X player on the fourth as the fourth line pair. And then you can throw out anyone with them and just throw a curveball. You don't know who's coming next or what's coming next. And it's just, and I think we play better like that because our team, the right side, Bouchard and Barry are sometimes are kind of the same player and it can get a little messy. And that's when Chris Russell can come in and Bouchard doesn't have to PK or Chris Russell. I mean, Barry doesn't have to PK. It can just that little thing can help a little bit. For sure. I think the one thing that kind of worries me a little bit is that if a forward gets hurt, now you're basically down to three lines. If you go with 11 and seven and you'll just have one extra guy who might rotate through it, it's going to get guys like McDavid and dry more ice time. And you go with 11 forwards because they're going to have to basically double shift with the fourth line. And that might get the Oilers uh, some good matchups every once in a while and catch the other team off guard. But, uh, you know, if they get into like a, a triple overtime game and you only have, uh, three lines to go with you might start to see some tired legs out there and you'd hate for that to cost them however I, i'm not sure how much the fourth line would play if they did get that deep into a game anyway so it's something to keep say it. that's more than what Tippett used in game four yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I i think the one thing is though uh, do you do you guys think jay woodcroft uh, has shown more trust in his players to put them in those situations i i feel like he's given guys lower in the lineup a lot more opportunities than uh, this team had under Tippett. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think you can... It's like you're allowed to make a mistake. You're allowed to do kind of like... Well, you won't be punished. That's yeah, the thing. like... like uh, I, I don't think that... To, uh, I don't think that he's preaching like, oh, go out there and if you make a mistake, so what? Like, you know, the, there still has to be accountability, but it, it's not like you think you're going to be stapled to the bench if you make that mistake. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, like, I wonder how well a guy like Tyler Benson would have done if Woodcroft would have been the coach the entire year rather than Tippett. <laughs> Just because he Tippett had such reliance on those veteran guys like Devin Shore <laughs> playing in the lineup over Benson consistently. Like, neither were giving results. So it's not like they were losing anything by having one in, in there over the other. But, like, a guy like Tyler Benson, he's a second-round pick that has proven his worth at the AHL level. And you got him on a one-year deal, and he's not waivers exempt anymore. It's like... It's see what you have in the guy or lose him. And that, I don't think they did an effective job of doing that. And I think that's on Tippett. He sort of reminds me of Anton Lander about seven years ago. He's a guy <laughs> who can put up a point per game pace at the AHL level, but he just hasn't been able to translate that scoring to the NHL. And yes, he does make some clever plays along the boards. He does bring some grit. Uh, he's a player that I... You know, had some some hope would uh, possibly develop into a second line winger eventually, but at 24, we haven't quite seen it from Benson yet. Maybe he'll get another shot with the team next year. Um, I just think that with guys like Dylan Holloway coming in, Evander Kane possibly re-signing, it's going to be so hard for him to crack this lineup. He, he's pretty much going to have to be like the fourth line left winger and take a spot from someone like we said, like Derek. Um, Devin Shore, excuse me. So it's it's going to be a tough road ahead for him. But uh, but man, like yeah, you know, th- there was so much potential. I think there a few years ago. Yeah, for sure. And the injuries didn't help Benson. Any no, other. he was yeah, set behind from the start. Even in junior, he had a bunch of injuries. I give him tons of respect for overcoming that, and you know, having a a pretty successful AHL career so far. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, I mean, to to, that, to answer the question, yeah, I definitely think that Woodcroft is giving the guys a lot more trust. I think the minutes have been a lot more balanced, and the, the guys feel like they're understanding what they're supposed to be doing a little bit more. They understand what their roles are and how they can contribute, and they're seeing the results of that. Mm-hmm. Well, the Oilers have the best two players in the league in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and as we talked about earlier in the show i mean they are going to be the game breakers in this series who could really turn it in the oilers favor but as we saw with fernando pisani in 2006 and zach cassian in 2017 there can be unexpected heroes that you know come through in the playoffs when you look at this lineup who could you see stepping up and being a surprise hero for the oilers this spring uh spencer i'll go to you first I I think my surprise pick I could eat I could see like Fogel or Derek Ryan like Ooh. somebody from that third line or a player I always have the utmost trust in ever since I've watched him in the OHL is McLeod he's just I'm a big fan of him so if he could do that that'd be awesome <laughs> uh, but I think Fogel or Derek Ryan was just a perfect candidate like he's always just around the net or in a good area, and I just see him having that same impact as that Pisani. He gives me that exact same memory. Yeah, because I think Pisani scored 18 goals in the regular season that year, which was his career high, and then he scored 14 goals in the playoffs to lead the league. I mean, it's just, he had the the best <laughs> two months of his entire career, and, and he'll always be a hero in Edmonton for how he played on that playoff run, getting them all the way to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, Ryan, how about you? Who, who's your uh, dark horse to be a hero for the Oilers this spring? 
Yeah, I, I think Spencer's got a few good picks there. I was half thinking Fogel, and I think McLeod is a really good option. Like he, he hasn't been finishing much lately, but man, that guy is looking more and more confident by the day. Um, but I'm going to go, I've been high on Derek Broussard even before the trade Ooh. deadline. And I think that he's the type of player that playing in a bottom six role, lower in the lineup has, has experience as a top six guy. He's been deep in the playoffs recently with the Islanders. So I'm, I'm going to go Broussard. I think he's going to be comfortable enough where he can stay in the moment and make an impact. It's another good pick. You know, I was really leaning towards Fogel too. I'm not sure how much of a dark horse or uh, uns- unsung hero you could call. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here. Of of who? I want. Uh, Zach Hyman. Sorry, uh, and you know, he scored 27 goals this year, a career high. But uh, you know, when you think of the Oilers' top guys, he isn't the first guy that comes to mind. And I could just see him having a big series with the, the Kings focusing so much on trying to shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl. I could just see Hyman, the way that he grinds and works so hard every shift and has, you know, underrated skills and, and underrated speed as well. I, I can just see him being a menace on the forecheck and scoring a couple Ryan Smith gritty type goals, banging in rebounds in front of the net. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a, a big factor for the Oilers in, in not only this series, but the entire playoffs. Yeah, I mean, if you want to pick somebody from the top six, too, Hyman's a good one, but uh, yes, it's Pulley Arvey. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's, he's, his hands have deserted him in the second half of the season, but he's doing so many good things well. He's got to get rewarded at some point. And if he, if you want somebody that's going to pile up goals, well, he's playing on a line with Connor and Evander Kane, so the points are there. I mean, he missed almost a month with injury, and I think that set him back. But, you know, he still defers a little bit too much. Do you guys remember in the game last night, he had the puck on his stick in the slot and tried to make that one extra pass to slide it over to the side of the net for a tap-in? It's like, yes, he just have the confidence to shoot the puck. You, you know, you're an excellent player. And I think that it maybe is in his head because there were a, there was a couple games ago he had two point blank looks from McDavid and, and was denied on both times and maybe he doesn't trust his shot as much as he should right now but I, I think that when he does start to take those shots it, it's going to go in for him and, and that'll start to build a little more confidence for him as a as a goal scorer which he, he does so many other things well but if he can just add that next layer to his game it's it's going to make him so much better. Yeah, absolutely. Like, once he gets his hands in around the net, like he's starting to throw a little bit more poise. It, it's yeah. slowly coming for him, but uh, hopefully he can figure it out in the playoffs. <laughs> and I think he, he scored the first goal of the playoffs last year and the first goal of the regular season this year. So he, maybe he'll uh, make it back-to-back years where he strikes first in the playoffs. Uh, I want to look at the goaltending situation now. Miko Koskinen was the Oilers' number one goalie for the majority of the season and had good results more often than not. However, Mike Smith has taken back the net recently. He was outstanding in April, going 9-0-0, as I mentioned off the top of the show. Uh, who do you think will play more games and goal for the Oilers in the first round, Mike Smith or Miko Koskinen? Uh, Ryan, let's go to you first. I think it's Mike Smith. I, I mean, the month that he just had and his history in the playoffs as well, I think he's the guy. 
Miko Koskinen has he's, he played okay the last couple games. A rough starting against San Jose, but he figured it out and he played well against Vancouver. But prior to that, he was on the struggle bus. It seemed like. So I think he's starting to find his game again, but Smith is riding high. So I think you go with him. Spencer, how about you? Exact same thing. I think there's no doubt that Smith won't only be the starter, but should be the starter at this moment. Uh, I was a critic of his when he was bad, but he's on fire right now. And I think you just roll with it. If Koskinen's been fine, and if something falters, you can always go to him. But Smith was fine last year. He wasn't the reason we lost. We just couldn't score. And I think there's no reason to defer from him. 9-0, and like you said, in the month. So let's keep rolling with him. The other thing, too, if you look at the Kings goaltenders, uh, whether it be Jonathan Quick or Cal Peterson, both of the Oilers goalies put up better individual numbers than either of the Kings goalies in the last, uh, in the second half of the year, I should say. Now, Jonathan Quick does have the winning pedigree. He did win two Stanley Cups in 2012 and 2014, but we're talking almost a decade ago now. And he hasn't been the elite goaltender over the last couple of years that he was in his prime. Is there any concern on, on your guys' part that he could turn back the clock and you know steal this series or even a game for the Kings in the series uh, against the Oilers? Uh, Spencer, let's just uh, go right back to you. I yeah I I do I think I think he's a good goalie still honestly I have uh some numbers here from Balvin Hockey like he has mm-hmm. twelve goals saved above expected on the season which isn't bad at all he's played very well for them and there is like that little scare that might come out and hurt us but uh, since well our boy Woodcroft was hired. Uh, only one goalie has more goals saved above expected than Mike Smith, and that's probably the Vesna winner, Shesterkin. Mm-hmm. And I, I, but Oilers got goalied last year, and I don't want to think about it this year. <laughs> you know, it, it's just there's no doubt that the most valuable player to your team come playoff team is your goaltender. And in, in 2006, Notwithstanding Chris Pronger, Dwayne Rollison was the most valuable player to the Oilers. And the the biggest reason outside of Pronger that they got to the Stanley Cup final. I truly believe that if he would have been healthy for that entire series and not injured in game one, the Oilers would have won the Stanley Cup in 2006. Uh, and 16 years later, it still hurts that they came that close. Um, Ryan, what do you think? Is there any chance that Quick steals this series for the Kings? I don't think he can steal the series for them. He can he can steal a game or two, but I don't think he can steal the series for them. Like I think this is a bit of a, a flaw in logic that I think pretty much everybody's guilty of. A guy wins a, a Stanley Cup or two or three, and suddenly he's the best player that this world has ever seen. He's well, look in, at Jordan like, Failure is impossible. Right? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but look at Jordan Binnington. He came out of nowhere halfway through the 2018-19 season, led the Blues to a Stanley Cup, and you know gets a extend, extension on his contract. Uh, he's being touted as one of the next top goalies in the league, mentioned as a possibility for Team Canada's starting goalie at the Olympics. Uh, hasn't quite had the same amount of success since, and you know even lost the net this year. Uh, the name's alluding me to the backup uh, 
Who so? Yes. So I mean, re- realistically, like you know, just because Quick had that that great run a decade ago, I don't think it necessarily means that he's guaranteed to be able to do that again this year as he gets you know deeper into his career. But I mean, we can't say he's old by any means because Mike Smith is still older, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but bit. yeah, just a bit. But to, to your point too, like Matt Murray, he's won two cups with Pittsburgh, yeah. and look at his situation on Ottawa now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he completely lost his confidence in Pittsburgh, and then they just moved on from him as soon as they got Tristan Jari. It's just, yeah, it's you know, just because you've won a couple Stanley Cups, and I'm sure there are more examples that we're not even thinking of right now, where a uh, guy is another example, not yeah. as a goalie, but like he's won three Stanley Cup, two or three Stanley Cups, and uh, look at the reaction that happened here at Edmonton when he was traded for. Right, right, and I mean he's not the player he was five years ago. I'm hoping that he can, you know, provide that veteran leadership in the room, but also mm-hmm. more more importantly than what he brings in the room, bring it on the ice. You know, ha- I, and I don't expect him to be 2015 Duncan Keith. If we could have added that guy to this team, <laughs> if we had a time machine, you could bring back uh, the Conn Smythe Trophy winning Duncan Keith. Then you know, I I would think that the Oilers have a really good chance to go on a a deep playoff run, but. Uh, I just feel like Keith has had some positive moments this year. I think he's maybe been as good as people expected. Like there were, it seemed like there were low expectations coming into the year of what he could still be able to bring. But I, I thought that he was was decent. And let's just hope that come playoff time, he can elevate his game even a little bit more and be a factor for for the team in the series. Like the thing with experience, like. It, Experience isn't necessarily a predictor of future success. Past mm-hmm. success isn't a predictor of future success. But Duncan Keith is comfortable under the lights. He's comfortable when the moment is biggest. And having that presence on the bench and in the locker room, I think, is huge. Re- regardless of what you think of his on-ice play, it's just yeah. having more guys that are comfortable in the big moment. Like Brett Kulak's another one. Stanley Cup Finals last year. He's been there before. He's not going to be intimidated by the moment. And what if Darnell Nurse isn't ready to go for game one? I mean, the worst time of the year to lose your number one defenseman with four games to go in the regular season. If he isn't healthy to start the playoffs, who's your top pairing left shot defenseman? Will they go with Kulak or or would you uh, start Duncan Keith in that spot? Ryan, uh, what do you think? Tough call. I mean, lately, the last couple of games, they've had Kulak up there with CeCe. So I, I feel like they'd probably be okay to do that. Like they had Kulak playing with Petrie in Montreal most of the last, last playoff run. So I, I think Kulak can hold his own there. I think Duncan Keith actually played some of his best hockey when Darnell Nurse was out. <laughs> Maybe and let's I'm not forget that. And, and basically, like you just mentioned, let's not forget Kulak went to the Stanley Cup final with the Canadians last year. So not the same level as Keith, who's been on three trips to the Stanley Cup final, and I think three other times where they reached the conference final and lost. Uh, so he's definitely seen his fair share of uh, long playoff runs, whereas, you know, it's a little more recent, the one Kulak's been on, but you, you can't compare the experience between those two guys. Uh, Kulak, Kulak, the better player at this point, I think we would all agree. Not debatable, but uh, yeah. I'm a little higher on Keith than some other people. Are. Okay, <laughs> and and honestly, I, I like Kulak a bit more. Yeah, well, there you go, debatable. <laughs> I, I, you know, I wasn't. I, I mean, when the trade happened, 
Uh, I know a lot of people were down on it right away. I liked the idea of bringing in uh, an experienced veteran D-man. You know, you, you would have liked if he could have been a couple of years younger than he was, but with with Clefbaum's future still so much up in the air, I think that Ken Holland wanted to have some assurance of who was going to be playing on the left side. And uh, apparently Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl were really big on bringing him in too. So, uh, you know, some people will say, oh, you can't have the inmates running the asylum and like telling the GM what to do. But, you know, if your leadership core is pushing for a guy and they think that he can be a part of this team and they're telling you how hard it was to play against him in the bubble two years ago, then, you know, that that's a guy that you should look at. And let's just hope that he's saving uh, his best hockey of the season for the playoffs next week. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wouldn't ever. I like Keith. I like. I I don't like him, but he's just as long as you're an Oiler. I just want the best. Just <laughs> I want you to all just win the Hart Trophy. I want you to win the Norris. Oh, of course, like Mike Smith win the Vesna. <laughs> you know, I I'm an optimist when it comes to the team in general. I support yep. the people who are here. There, there's a lot of people who hate hated on Dave Tippett when he was here. Continue to hate on Ken Holland and pick apart every move he does. I defend the guys who work for the team and who who wear the the oil drop on their chest. Um, that doesn't mean that I can't you know still criticize them at times and say, oh you know that uh, I don't know if I would have done that. Like when when uh, Peter Shirelli traded Jordan Eberle in 2017, oh. didn't didn't like the move. I mean Eberle was one of my favorite guys to see him go, uh, hurt. But I'm it's not like I'm going to be hoping that Peter Shirelli you know, continues to fail so that he gets pushed out of a job. I mean, he eventually did anyway, but I want to see the Oilers succeed. And if he's the guy who's running the bus, then I'm cheering for him to succeed too. And I, I hope that people will see that with Ken Hall and that, you know, yes, he, he did win four Stanley Cups in Detroit. He does still mention the Red Wings a lot, which I know <laughs> irks some people. But look what the Oilers have done since he's come here three years ago. They've made the playoffs every year that he's been at the helm. He's changed this roster up and improved it in areas where it's allowed them to make the playoffs and finish second place in the division three years in a row. The only thing that they haven't done since he's arrived is have some playoff success. And, you know, if they're lucky that that will change this year and, you know, do what they should have done against the Blackhawks and against the Jets and, you know, not get upset in the first round and beat these teams. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, we're going to see that start uh, next week against the Kings. I mean, big picture on Keith, like whoever that second pairing left D was, I'm glad they didn't commit big term to that player. Yeah, he's only got one more year on the books. Very Four year on the books. Just you got Philip Broberg, you got Dmitry mm-hmm. Samrukov, right? You got two high end prospects that are coming to fill that two LD spot in the long term, but they're not ready yet. You needed somebody for a couple years to bridge mm-hmm. that gap, and Duncan Keith <laughs> is the guy. You don't like the price, you don't like the contract. That's all fair. Yeah. But uh, Duncan Keith's done fine in the role, and uh, the contract term is just perfect for what we needed. Yeah. And, like, uh, oh, sorry, Eric. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> we we were just I was just talking to another friend of mine that uh, it could have been Oliver Ekman Larson. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, see, uh, it could have been Oliver. <laughs> that would have been a disaster. <laughs> yeah, seven um, and a quarter for five more years. That one, uh, oof. <laughs> 
And also, what if the Oilers win the Stanley Cup this year and Keith decides to retire? If he yeah, does he retire this nothing. year with one left, yeah, the he'll will will be clear of his contract off the books, and there's a recapture penalty that would be applied to the Blackhawks. So Perfect. you know, now now <laughs> yeah. the so now the Oilers will have their five point six million in uh, in cap space that they you know we're so desperately looking for I, I you know let's just I, I the biggest thing would obviously be the Oilers winning the Stanley Cup I think but yep. if, if they are able <laughs> if they are able to get a little bit of cap space to come with it that'd be great too <laughs> and uh, all right I want to get into some uh, predictions now from you guys uh, statistically uh, and and then we'll we'll check back at the end of the series and see who was right. So uh, give me your picks. Who will lead the Oilers in goals and points in this series, and how many will they finish with? Spencer, how about you start us off? Um, I'm gonna go. I'll just go with the should be Hart Trophy winner, uh, McDavid. With um, I think I'll go. I think 4-2 Edmonton has a series. Six games, but he's... I th- I'm going to say four goals, seven assists. 11 points. Be optim- very so, optimistic. So you have, him le- you have him leading in both goals and points? Uh, no, uh, just the points. I think... Okay, so he's oh, going to get 11 I, I think, points. Yeah, I think dry, like it's always just that connection on the power play. Like in this series... They're P- like the Kings PK isn't good. I think like Drysdale will just be found. He'll lead the goals. And how many goals for him? I think well, probably I'll go seven. Seven goals. Be optimistic. Optimistic. Wow, that's averaging optimistic. Over, over a goal a game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and Ryan, how about you? Uh, goals and points leaders for the Oilers, and how many? I am going to the way I find it usually works is the guy that has the better regular season usually has the worst playoffs. (laughs) And I'm talking about Connor and Leon here. So Connor had the bigger, better regular season. So I'm going to say that Leon's going to have the better playoffs. And I think Connor's got the tougher defensive matchup against Philip Deneau, because I think they're going to try to go Deneau on McDavid and Kopitar on Dreisaitl. So I think Dry leads the series in both goals and points. I'll say six goals, ten points. Okay. And, you know, I, I remember back in 2017 when Connor had his 100-point season. No one else in the league had even 90 points that year. Uh, becoming only the third 20-year-old to ever lead the league in scoring. You know, playoff time, he went up against some big, strong teams in San Jose and Anaheim. They keyed on him so tightly. I, like I, I kind of said earlier, I think that he can outmaneuver those tighter checking assignments now, but they really shut him down in that series, you know, and there was a lot of missed calls on him then too where they were just uh, abusing him night after night, off face-offs, you know, rubbing him out, pinning him to the boards, not letting him have any room to skate. I, I don't think that's going to happen as much now, but uh, Leon Dreisaitl had so many more offensive opportunities because they were so focused on Connor. And he had 13 points, I believe, in 2017, and Connor had nine. Even Mark Letestu was second in league scoring, or second in Oilers scoring in the playoffs that year. So it just shows, you know, when. 
when uh, a guy like McDavid is uh, getting so keyed on, other guys have to step up. And la- last year in the playoffs, Dreisaitl outscored McDavid again. However, if you remember against the Blackhawks, uh, it was actually McDavid and Nugent Hopkins who both yeah, went off in that series. Yeah, that series might have only been four games, but I think McDavid had nine points and Nugent Hopkins had eight points. And you know, he they get were, up to ten? Like I thought, it, it, he was unbelievable in that series. I think it's five goals and nine points that he had against the Blackhawks, which still is averaging over a goal per game and yeah, average just- and averaging over two points per game. Like especially that game two when uh, when McDavid had a hat trick against the Blackhawks. I mean, that was to, he had to five me. I think four. <laughs> yeah. in four games. Yeah, thought I had that. So I mean, that was probably his best playoff performance to date. That that game two against the Blackhawks in the summer of 2020. But uh, let's hope that uh, he's saving his best for for this year. Because if you really think about it, in the regular season. He's been the most dominant offensive player since he entered the league. Uh, 697 points, almost 700 points in seven years. He's won four scoring titles, but he hasn't had the team success he would have liked in the playoffs and, you know, lesser important to him, but the individual success that he would have liked either. Uh, and of course, you know, the further you go, the the more opportunity there is to score. So I really believe that this is a year that he's going to say, OK, I've shown it in the the regular season. I've I've won Hart trophies. I've won Ted Lindsay awards. I've won Art Ross trophies. There's another trophy that I'd like to add to my uh, my trophy ca- case, and that's the Con Smythe trophy. And even more important than that, the Stanley Cup. So uh Let's uh, let's hope that that's uh, those are the two newest uh, awards that he'll be uh, adding this summer. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and like I said, my last one for you guys. I think you kind of uh, gave your prediction away already, but uh, yeah. who will win the series and in how many games? Uh, oh, I'll go first. Uh, yeah, I, yep, four two. It's okay. I think I think it'll be closer than expected like kings are even after the dowdy injury they played they played pretty well they've been fine well not fine but as good as you can be without your top defenseman and they're stingy like their forward group is look it's pretty deep and it's very like like they play with so much pressure and the d like against minnesota we have shown that if you can just pressure our d they will have games where they can cough it up. But I think overall we can fix that. I think Jay Woodcroft will adjust and we will be fine and win it in six. Also, I realized I forgot to give my predictions for goals and points. I'll say oh, dry yeah. I'll say dry will lead the, the Oilers in goals in the series. I think he'll have four. I could see Connor having one less three. Uh, and as for points, I think, I think Connor will have nine, and Drysaitel will have eight. I think it's it's they're going to be pretty close all the way. But I I think uh, McDavid's just going to have a few extra assists, and Drysaitel will average close to a goal per game. Uh, and then uh, Ryan, back to you. Uh, series and and how many games? I'm going to go Oil in six. I think the 
ultimately, I like. I, I really think that the Oilers have a big advantage over the Kings. They should win this series easily, but I think the Kings are going to steal a game or two from us just because of their annoying work ethic, and Jonathan Quick is still a good goaltender. So I'll give them credit for a couple games, but yeah, Oilers win this series. You know, if the Kings do get a couple games, I think it will be the ones when they are at home uh, because, you know, they, they can line match a little better there. And let's not forget that the Oilers currently set a franchise record last night by extending their unbeaten streak in regulation to 15 games, 14-0-1. The last time they lost a game in regulation on home ice was March 5th, to give you an idea of how long it's been. So this is the perfect time for them to be starting a playoff series with this type of home dominance. Uh, I don't want that streak to end on Monday night since uh, we'll be at the game. And uh, if they can start out 1-0, and you know, that would be a good lead for them to get in the series because they've lost, I believe, the last three playoffs. Yeah, 2017, they lost to the Sharks in Game 1. Uh, they lost to the Blackhawks in Game 1 in, in 2020. And then last year, obviously, lost a disappointing game to the Jets in game one. So it'd be nice for them to start off the series with the lead for the first time since 2006. Uh, you guys, I just want to say, oh, and uh, and I'll, I think the Oilers will win in five, by the way, uh, to give my prediction. I, I, the Kings, I, I could see stealing one game uh, in their building, but I think the Oilers uh, should be able to handle them uh, fairly easily in this series. And as I was just saying a second ago, thank you so much again for being on the show tonight. It's been always been awesome talking to you guys. And uh, let's hope that our predictions uh, hold true. And when we uh, look back at this uh, at the end of the series, that we were uh, pretty close on all of them. Yeah, I hope we are doing a roundup of this series, just <laughs> laughing, having fun, and looking forward to the next. <laughs> Thanks for having me back on, Eric. It was a great time. Of course. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just exactly. th- this this team and this fan base is ready to go on a bit of a run. And maybe it only lasts two rounds. Who knows if they get to the conference final or the Stanley Cup final. But I, I think for the McDavid era Oilers, they got to start winning a little more in the playoffs. They got to at least add a, a, a at least one series win to have something to build off. Uh, maybe this isn't the year they win the cup. I sure hope it is, though. But uh, just start uh, gaining some ground here, and 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 have some some building blocks to go in on uh, for the for next season. But I don't even want to think about next season right now. I'm just focused on this team trying to push for the ultimate goal. And uh, if they bring a cup back to Edmonton, uh, I will definitely be there in July for the parade, and I'm sure you guys would too. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Our all right, guys. Thanks again. And uh, before we uh, sign off, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at SP Prospects. And you can find me at Lots Ryan. All right. So, everyone, please go give them a follow once again. Thanks again, guys. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. All right, so for Spencer Pomodi and Ryan Lotzberg, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.